This is the Astrology University podcast, helping you find inspiration, insight, and connection through the study of astrology. And I'm your host, Tony Howard. Joined by Melanie Reinhardt, the author of Chiron and the Healing Journey. Thanks for joining me today, Melanie. Oh, it's nice to meet Tony. It's great. So um, we've all been talking about the Saturn and Pluto conjunction that the exact conjunction took place in January of 2020 this year. And last year we had a summit that you participated in, uh, in April, where we were looking forward to 2020. We all knew that big things were going to happen this year. And it turns out, um, yes, in fact, they did. But you had a really interesting perspective because of all your research on Chiron and this, uh, the other centaurs. And you got into some of that in the summit, but You've been writing some really great blog posts lately, that, so I wanted to invite you to the podcast to share a little bit about what you've noticed about Chiron and Pholus in the context of that Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So maybe you could just lead us into some of that today. Yes. Sure. This interests me a lot because in 1992, this ring of matter around the edge of the solar system was discovered, and it's called the Kuiper Belt. In fact, it was the discovery of Pholus that was heralding that discovery. So Pholus was found in January 1992 and named in July, and it was almost named Chaos, um, and, but it was eventually named Pholus and so on. Wind way forward to 2006, that was the year that Pluto was so-called demoted from planet status to, I think he's in a dwarf planet now or something, but anyway, he was demoted, thrown out of the solar system. And I have to say that I absolutely crowed when that happened. Not in any way to demote Pluto, but in studying the centaurs, what I realized was that there was lots of very interesting parallels between the centaurs and Pluto. For example, I can remember way back reading Dane Rudyard writing about the fact that Pluto is an orbit crosser. Right. So back then, Pluto was indeed the only one of the planets whose orbit crossed over any of the classical planets. And also the only one that had such an incredibly steep inclination to the ecliptic. So really like a totally different kind of creature. And lo and behold, Chiron and the centaurs have exactly those characteristics. They all cross over the orbit of at least one other planet, the exception here being Shariklo. There's something to ponder upon. She's nested quite happily in between Saturn and Uranus. I imagine her kind of not feeling the need to go busting through other people's orbits or something. You know, she's happy there. But the others, I mean, dramatic. So Pholus crosses over Saturn and Uranus and Neptune in its orbit. Its approximate orbital length is about 90 years, but sometimes a bit less, a bit more, and so on. But back to Pluto. So it's thought that the origins of what are now called the centaurs, so that's a subcategory of objects out there, it's thought that they originated in the Kuiper belt and were pulled into the solar system by the gravitational field of Neptune. And when I, when I read that, I just sort of laughed because I thought, wow, well, I think I'm probably not the only one here. <laughs> 
who knows what it's like to be pulled into something through either our dreams and passions and inspirations or indeed our delusions. The other side of that being that it's also like a kind of a bodhisattva healing, healing figure who allows itself to be engaged with or pulled into situations from the point of view of trying to bring some healing. So to me, that's a very centauric theme. At any rate, so they probably came from the realm of Pluto. And astronomically, they do behave in a very similar way. And through the whole process of categorization of objects and things into a tailspin, but to me, just looking at the basics, it's kind of really obvious. Now, it was so obvious to me that for years before Pluto was um, demoted, um, I was actually, if I had occasion to teach a model of the solar system, this is what I would say. I would say, well, if you look at the behavior of these objects, um, there's consistency up to Neptune. And then there's Pluto, who we could call the king of the Kuiper belt. And in that sense, the centaurs, so Chiron and Pholus, and you know, and the rest of the gang, they are like the um, the escapees, or the messengers, um, or people who come from there, bearing gifts, bearing messages, and so forth. And I just love that image so much, and it works astrologically. Also, you know, the announcement of the discovery of Chiron is not the only chart of interest there. It was first discovered with Pluto exactly to the minute conjunct the mean north node in Libra. Just to the minute, just amazing symbolism. And of course, we know that, you know, retrospectively, they picked up images going back into the end of the 19th century. But in terms of a conscious discovery, that was it. So many things point to this Pluto connection. And in terms of the experience, that works as well. And the way I understand it is that sometimes the Plutonic realm, the realm of Hades, it can feel like a great, big, heavy, dark blanket. And maybe those of you listening who've had some high voltage Pluto transits, maybe you recognize that feeling. It is so heavy and so condensed and at times so lightless that often there are parts of us that re react with real fear when it's around, even like verging into terror. I'm now speaking from my own experience of my transits. Wow, you know. However, how I understand the centaurs in that regard is it's almost like they are uh, half animal and half human. So this half and half being blended together in one form is a central image with all the centaurs. And it's as if being half animal form, they're much closer to the, to the natural world than we are because it, animals don't have intellects in the same way as we do. They have intelligence but they don't have intellect in the way that we experience it and live it and develop it and so forth. The benefit there being that the animal half is the half that stays embedded in or close to nature. 
and that includes the cyclicity of experience, not just seasonal, but in, in the cycles of the soul. In other words, what we work with in astrology. And so the basic cycle that we inhabit on earth is day and night, dark and light, life and death. And because of the way we're educated, I think it's very difficult for a lot of people to really kind of relax into that cyclicity because we always want things to go how we want them to go. And usually that's in a straight line because that's kind of what we're taught, you know. So the centaurs don't live in the world of straight lines. To appreciate the centaurs, including Chiron in the horoscope, it's much easier if you really do engage your right brain. Now, I'm aware that this left and right brain thing is, is a gross oversimplification. And if this subject in, interests you, do read The Master and His Emissary, a fabulous tome of a book all about this. So I'm aware that that's a simplification, but there's also enough ground in it for, to be a useful image. And so the intellectual technical dimension of astrology, of course, we all have to know about that. And there is also the other side, the imagination, the capacity to sense and feel and to, to just hang out with something until it yields its meaning. That's by far the most effective way to learn about any of the centaurs. And of course, to draw from your own experience, always. That's the quickest route to getting to understand something of them. And if you do that, you'll begin to see that they're active when we're invited into very deep experiences, almost as if they are, are like our guides to the underworld, in the sense that, you know, one can't take on the whole huge dark realm of Hades, because Pluto whether you think of it as a planet or a member of the Kuiper Belt and so forth, it symbolizes transpersonal energies, which are much bigger than the individual. And so, you know, one little individual, whether me or you or anybody, we can't really work with that or integrate it fully. And so it's very scary because we feel as if we're going to be like run over by the truck of it or swept away. But in fact, what I seem to have come across is lots of times when the centaurs, it's like they don't want to floodlight the underworld so that everybody gets blinded, but they have a torch, a little torch, or maybe light a fire, where you can see just enough of what's going on that it really resonates. And there's no question of, well, am I making this up or is that true or whatever? It's something that you feel through your whole body. To me, uh, that uh, the centaurs are not the only things, of course, that we can feel in that way, but it's, it's very marked. So I see them as lighting our way, also as important agents of balance in these really scary times where lots is out of balance. And so we get out of balance because we're not separate from what's going on but they do also offer transformation and healing in the way of the Plutonic realm. So the underworld, of course, is known oh, throughout so many cultures as the place of death, but it's also the place of rebirth. And in one life, 
biological birth and biological death are like the bookends. But in truth, as probably most of you who are listening out there, as most of you know, there can be lots of many, many deaths and rebirths all the way through our life. Some people have a life that's really dominated by that. Obviously, if they have a really strong Pluto or a lot of planets in the eighth house and so forth, that is how they live. And some of the more, some of the people who've got more of an aptitude for the straight line way of going about things just can't fathom what is the big deal or, you know, why are you going to these dark places? Um, but that's part of, part of the balance, you see. So, long introduction. I got really interested in uh, the transiting squares of Chiron and Volus. And I got interested in that way back in 2015 because I saw that they were heading to make what would be a T-square with my Neptune. So I started tracking it when Pholus was still in Sagittarius and Chiron uh, was in Pisces. And I certainly had some very, very powerful experiences, some of which were not pleasant at all. But I got fascinated with these as I began to see what seemed to me like the world on the skids. So if you look at a graph of the movement of these two between 2015 and 2022, you'll see that in 2016, from about the middle of the year until about November, the lines on the graph kind of skid together, but they don't cross over each other. So that was an incredibly, I remember looking at that many years ago and thinking, geez, that's a bit of a dramatic prelude. I wonder what will happen. Well, what <laughs> happened while they were skidding along was over here, we had a referendum and 52 of the population voted to leave the EU. And uh, a few weeks later, a new era was brought in as Donald Trump was elected. Need I say more? Wow. So by the time that had happened, now I'm really interested in these two. And so I was tracking them bit by bit by bit. And if you think of all the cascade of events that have happened since that time, well, for me, Pholus and Chiron are surely two of the significators then. I mean, there's lots of stuff one could pull out, but, you know, as I'm interested in the centaurs, I was looking at them. So I think probably many of you out there will be at least somewhat familiar with Chiron but you may not be with Pholus. So let me give you a bit more information about Pholus. Um, I already said he was discovered in 1992. So recall that the following year was the conjunction of Uranus and Neptune in approximately the degrees of Capricorn, where we've seen as a kind of stampeding herd of goats. If, if goats stampede, I'm not sure they do. They're a bit too solitary. <laughs> But anyway, maybe they broke the, broke the rules. That's it. A stampede. Um, what, what is the collective for goats, Tony? You know, like, like a flock of sheep. You know, I should, I should know because I have a good friend who has a goat sanctuary, but I don't know the word. <laughs> oh, well, maybe it is a herd. I know, I, I digress. But anyway, where all the action is right now, that is where the Uranus-Neptune conjunction in 1993 
uh, that's when it happened. Uh, it was in those degrees, and uh, same within the within less than twelve months prior to that, Pholus was discovered. And as I mentioned, Pholus crosses over Saturn and Uranus and Neptune. Both Chiron and Pholus are heading towards their aphelion at the moment. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but can you explain? Yeah. Can you explain to the listeners what that word means, aphelion? Oh, thank thank you. Thank you. I was just about to do that. I'm, oh, okay. I think, we, <laughs> no, I think we must have flashed at the same time there. I thought, oh, maybe not everyone knows that word. So aphelion is the point in a planet's orbit where it's the furthest away from the sun. And perihelion is where it's closest into the sun. And both of them, Chiron and Pholus, they're both going out away from the sun to their furthest point away. And... Chiron will reach that point when it's in 11.55 of Aries. So it's coming right up, 27th of May, next year, 2021. So this is actually very interesting because these centaurs are slightly like comets, except they don't have these huge long orbits and they don't disappear out of the solar system and then out of tracking view altogether. But they are a little like comets, and there, there's some very interesting remarks on comets in the, in the work of Rudolf Steiner. He talks about them as agents of purification. So when they go when they're going in, they're collecting to them all the kind of astral debris or the kind of poisons on various subtle levels. So they accrue as a comet goes in, and then they're taken out of the solar system. And I find that really, really fascinating. There is something of this uh, purgative quality about the centaur. Sometimes the healing they bring is very gentle and you need to sharpen your awareness to even see that it's happening. And sometimes it's really dramatic. So I'll tell a little bit about the story of Pholus. Pholus was actually the keeper of the sacred jar of wine of Dionysus. How he got to be that is another whole long story, too long for here. But at any rate, this jar came with conditions attached, you know, small print. Uh, one of which was that it was not supposed to be opened for four generations. And if, they re if that reminds you anything, of course, it's Pandora, as in pandemic and the god Pan, there's an article on my website, um, which you will have seen the link, which has a link through to a fabulous article by Brian Clark, all about Pan. But I'm mentioning Pan here because this four generations theme, this is not just a poetic whim. I thought it was at first, but then I kept having clients come who had Pholus really active in the chart, either by transit or it being activated. And I had them come and tell me that their ancestral stories for generations long until I was mind boggled. And I thought, wow, maybe that detail is way more literal than I was taking it. So I ventured to then kind of mention it and kind of ask people. And most of the time, before I'd hardly finished the sentence, people were saying, 
oh my God, yes, I know exactly what this refers to. And I've been working on this and it's about this, this, that, the other. Some of the people would look at me blank and, you know, have no particular connection. And of those, 70 to 80% of them would get back to me within a week, a month, a year, many, many years. And they'd email me and say, wow, you remember you said about the four generations? Well, let me tell you what I've just found out about my family. And now I'm working with them, blah, blah, blah. So this is a very pivotal story. And lo and behold, if we go back four generations from Pholus, Pholus was the son of Silenus, who was said to be the prototype for Shakespeare's character called Bottom in the Midsummer Night's Dream, the one with the donkey's ears. So Silenus was the storyteller of the gods. And we're told he was not above playing fast and loose with the truth for the sake of a good story. And I flashed, oh my God, there's fake news. This was word of the year 2017, right? So this is Pholus, major symbol of Pholus is all this fake news stuff. So back to the genealogy. Now Silenus was the son of Pan, as in pandemic panic, etc. Do read Brian's article. Who in turn, most commonly, was the son of Hermes. So four generations back from Pholus, we get Hermes. Now Pholus is not of the wounded healer archetype as Chiron is. He's more the archetype of the seer. And this is a bit more than what would casually be called clairvoyant. It's a kind of seeing that has such power to it that it changes the energy in a situation without any attempt to manipulate anything or intend anything or try to change anything. If you really, really see into something, layers and layers unroll and the energy starts to move. That is the quality of Pholus. It's very dramatic. And so back to the story with this jar of wine, Pholus he didn't own this wine. He was the custodian of it. Now, to me, that is a symbol, a lovely symbol, for he was the custodian of a sacred tradition, a tradition of sacred knowledge that was derived more from inspiration. There is the Dionysus factor again, more from inspiration than intellect. So in due time, Hercules visited the cave and he wanted some wine with his, with his food. So after some hesitation, for the reasons I said, Polis did open the wine and then absolute chaos broke out because the whole undifferentiated herd of nameless centaurs smelled the wine and began storming the cave wanting to get in. Polis was so amazed by all this, he took one of Hercules' arrows to see wh what was so powerful, what, what's going on here. He got curious and ask the question, what is this? Which in a different context, that's a very famous Zen meditation question, because you never know where it will lead you. So we know that the arrows were very deadly because they were poisoned. Hercules took some blood from the Hydra, who he had to overcome as one of his famous labors. So the arrow slipped from the hand of Pholus, and it dropped on his foot and wounded it, and he died immediately. So there's no great long process of living in a wounded condition, uh, as there is with Chiron. 
So now in human terms, this indicates a very fast transition from one phase of life to another or between one stage of life to another. Super quick change of situation, state of consciousness, etc. Being swept along by something one did not expect to wear, one knows not. So my tagline for Folus is the lid comes off. So there's a rapid transition, lid comes off, and then complete feeling of shock and disorienting and not being able to figure out what the hell's going on. Feeling of being destabilized and having somehow to find a new, more encompassing point of reference. Just like now, some of you who may have heard me speak before know that I love this word called metalogue and always looking for opportunities to, to refer to things as a metalogue. So I found that word in the work of Gregory Bateson, and it means that which we're speaking about is also arising. So I figure that we also do the complementary opposite of that. We speak about what is arising as astrologers. So here is Folas. So in terms of the lid coming off, well, if you just look back since at what's been going on since 2016, lid coming off everywhere and everything. And that lid coming off, it's both a big discharge of energy, which can funnel straight into creativity. It's also the blowing of the lid when something has been hidden or repressed uh, or denied and so forth. So, I, you know, there's so many things we could list. I think of the Me Too movement uh, in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandals. I think of the many cultural icons began crashing around this time and it's still ongoing. I think of Michael Jackson and many, many people we could name, some of whom successfully hid their dark side from the public and who were engaging in almost unspeakable things or criminal activity. This has almost become hopefully not normalized, but there's been one shock after the other, after the other. That's very folous. Now, this is really interesting. I have noticed again and again and again, if somebody gets caught in a lid comes off flood tide kind of situation in their lives, very often that is an indication that there is ancestral material stirring that really needs our attention. And I believe this also about the collective version of that which is going on now. For example, now is the second Chiron return of the so-called Spanish flu, which killed, figures vary, but between a 50 and 100 million people immediately after World War I. We're now in the second Chiron return of that. And some of the people that I've been speaking with, clients and so on, it's very clear that they are having collective memories, historical memories. So this can make it very confusing because it's very likely that that is happening collectively too, and not everybody will spot that. So it's a mess. People may be experiencing things that they think are prophesying about the future and what's going to happen, but it's equally possible that they are being, as it were, invaded as in virus by what's already happened. 
and they're in all of the original feelings and the terrors and so forth, and therefore thinking it is going to happen because they're not in a kind of situation-appropriate experience in their actual lives. Uh, I hope that was clear, but in short, it's a mixing up of past, present, and future, and sometimes our poor beleaguered mind kind of lands on the wrong one, and then we start to think, you know, oh, this is coming down the tracks, and it may not be. I'm not saying it isn't, but it may not be, so it's really good to hold it lightly. I think that's the teaching of this. Now, in terms of if I was working with an individual, I would notice this lid comes off situation. And by the way, I got that phrase from people who were desperately trying to describe a situation that was confusing or scary or incomprehensible. And I kept hearing them say this phrase. So I tried it on with folus and it absolutely works, you know. So we're in a kind of folus lid comes off situation here. Now, I've had so many conversations with individuals we're in discussing, okay, well, how, how do we be with this? How do we move through this? And some of the things which have come out of those discussions is given that there's likely to be, I call it the ancestral flood tide, that's very likely to be a component. So then it makes sense to seek out the work of somebody who is a master in that kind of stuff. And I would highly recommend the work of Daniel Four. So also, the image of a tree in a flood had come at least to at least one client. And it's something like, well, if you're not going to get swept away or jumbled around in, in the sort of turbulent waters, you need to put roots down very, very, very deep. And or I would say almost as deep as through the physical level of what the earth is about to the energy of the grounding, which doesn't depend on you know our belongings or where we live and so on. It's something much deeper. And really, that's the journey that all of the centaurs participate with us as we go along. Olus spent uh, part of their orbit inside Saturn's orbit. A beautiful image to contemplate because we think, well, you know, what's that about? I can't help thinking of it like, like digging digging the ground, digging the earth, preparing a field for the seeds to be sown. Because think of it, they both go round and round in their orbits. And they cut through the path of Saturn twice, once going in and once going out. That's so evocative. So I think that maybe they are the chopper uppers, uh, maybe into small pieces, chopper uppers of the hard ground of Saturn, of the hard structures, the rocks, and so forth. They start breaking that up, maybe all the way around their orbit. And then along comes Pluto and kind of, well, hard to put that into words. It's too big. So whatever Pluto does on a big grand scale, it's almost impossible to even speak about sometimes, at least for me. Um, it's like the centaurs, faithfully, they go round and round, digging the ground, chipping away and preparing. That's how, that's how I would see it. I think that's a uh, really great food for thought for people, Melanie, to, to start thinking about Folis and, uh, and Chiron. But um, maybe you could just tell people what, just name the aspects that are unfolding this year in regards to Folis and Chiron that you, you alluded to in your blog post. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. So now the whole trail of their squares, there were seven of them. 
And we had the last one on March the 8th. So now the thing to do, um, as, as with any planet, what you then do to look at the afterlude of the aspect of any aspect pattern, actually, what you then do is that you look at the times that they are on station, turning direction to go either retrograde or direct. And this is an easy one to remember here because April the 1st, no April Fool, that is when Pholus is going to turn retrograde. Uh, and then on the 15th of September, 2020, Pholus will turn direct again. Then through the next four years, they Pholus uh, goes forward by just about two days each year for the next four years. I mean, and probably onwards, but just looking at our immediate time. And then Chiron will turn retrograde on July the 11th and direct on December the 15th. And likewise, um, approximately three or four, two, three, four days forward each year. So they're easy ones to remember. And the rule of thumb there is for at least a week, about a week with Chiron, maybe a little longer for Folas. That's when the pressure is really building and the energy starts cascading and you start to see the metalog or the synchronicities and so forth. So, I mean, hey, Folas is just about to go stationary. So it's been building up to that for the last 10 days. And we have certainly had a lot cascading. The pandemic has been escalating. So now what I'm curious about is as Folas turns retrograde, I wonder if that's going to be shown by the pandemic subsiding a bit. Uh, that is the prediction for some countries. Some, unfortunately, are still in the escalation phase. And then in mid-September, uh, it will turn again. So that's always a good rule of thumb. If, if you know, a set of transits has completed, watch the stationary points for a good couple of years at least until it's basically out of orb. And just see what you see and feel what you feel during those times, especially if they are your own transits. So basically, if you have any planets in the very late mutables or the very early cardinals, you can see that's where all the action was. Yeah, so, so that's, that's the actual transits. And of course, you can look at the times in the year when the sun is opposite either Chiron or Pholus. So that's quite easy to figure out there you'll get another little mini ex escalation. It's actually shorter, I think, when it's the sun. It's got more of a trigger factor. So they will still be active, these two, for I, they're within range for another couple of years. Thanks for that, Melanie. And before we wrap up, you were wanting to tell people a little bit about the work of Martin Jones. Did you want to say a few words about that? Oh, yes. So, um. There, there's an article on my website, which is, it's actually it's a monster article. It's huge and it's got many, many links. But I want to just flag up um, on one of the pages, there is a link to the work of a healer called Martin Jones. And um, I've mentioned his work in the article. And look for a YouTube video called Make Your Own Homeopathic Remedies or making your own homeopathic remedies, I forget which. It's not long, it's only about half an hour. It's mind-blowing. 
and the stuff works. I know because I've, I've used some of these techniques myself and it's amazing. So it basically doesn't cost anything and you can do it. You don't need any medicines and you can use it wherever you are. That said, obviously anybody who is um, concerned that they might be getting any of the symptoms of the corona, coronavirus or COVID-19, they call it now, uh, uh, needs to get whatever medical attention is, is, uh, is uh, appropriate and possible at the time. So there's a big chunk in this monster webpage that's lots of suggestions for self-care. Probably many of you know all that stuff already, but there are some quite unusual things. So there's uh, Martin Jones. There it's was that. something else we spoke about too. Yes, yes, we were we were gonna you were gonna tell folks about um, one of your favorite causes. Oh yes. So my favorite cause is the Harry Edwards Spiritual Healing Center. And in fact, if there's any of you out there who attended um, my series on Chiron, I believe that I showed his horoscope then. Don't have a time, which is, which is a pity, but don't have a time. Anyway, uh, it is a healing center which has been going for about 70 years or more even on donations only. And it's a massive, big old country house south of London. I have visited there twice, an incredible place. But I met Harry Edwards when I was in my first Chiron Square, its natal place. And it was a life changing experience because I saw him do live this spectacular hands on healing. He came to my hometown in the middle of Africa, I mean, imagine it, and did this public demonstration of this stuff. It was absolutely extraordinary. And, you know, many of us maybe, maybe, you know, are familiar with beliefs and ideas about how, you know, the body isn't completely solid and energy follows thought and all that kind of thing. But to see it actually demonstrated, it was life-changing for me. And so ever since I was in my early teens, on up to the present day, uh, these people are my first port of call if anything goes wrong with me physically or even, you know, on other levels. So they do most of their work by distant healing. They work with thousands and thousands of people all over the world. They do, you know, actual contact healing, although they're closed now because uh, they're in a lockdown too, like all of us at the moment. But uh, most of the work is done by a whole team of healers. Um through email, also through phone, and they, they send the healing and encourage you to, you know, write, uh, write in response. So it's a, very, it, it's a very particular kind of dialogue along which the, that's the track along which the healing runs. And I, I, I could tell you some real miracle stories, and we're running out of time, so I won't, but <laughs> they are amazing. So they are they are my favorite cause. And if you've dug around my website, you'll see them cropping up here and there. Well, thank you so much, Melanie. And thanks for joining us on the podcast today. And for those of you looking for some of those links Melanie mentioned, we'll be posting them on the Astrology University podcast page for this podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, you can head over to astrologyuniversity.com forward slash podcast. 
and you can find uh, this episode of the podcast there. And on that page, we'll have links, uh, resource links that Melanie's going to share with us. Um, also, if you love Melanie's work and you would like to see what's coming up next, she'll be joining us uh, for our next summit, uh, online virtual summit at Astrology University. Our summits are always free to watch live. And this next one is going to be April 25th and 26th, 2020. And Melanie will be presenting a talk for us there. The subject of that summit is astrology and relationships and uh, really looking forward to see what Melanie has to share with us there. And if you are tuning in after that date, you can still get the recordings of the summit afterwards. So head over to astrologyuniversity.com forward slash summit for more details about our summits. So thank you so much for joining us, Melanie. And I look forward to chatting with you again really soon. Oh, thank you, Tony. And uh, to everyone out there, stay safe and well and look after each other. Definitely. Um, take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Astrology University podcast. Study astrology online with some of the great astrologers of our time at www.astrologyuniversity.com, where we offer webinars, online classes, and virtual summits to bring you inspiration, connection, and insight through the study of astrology. Take good care, and we'll see you next time.